Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, Molly. This is Nadina, uh, Premium Submarine. I just want to say I just started listening to your scapegoat episode and roles in families, and I'm realizing within the first 10 seconds of the episode that I was a scapegoat among many other roles. And when you started talking about the Scarlet Letter, which I haven't read, um, it's now on my to-do list to read, but it reminded me so much of a book that I'm reading to my seven-year-old daughter. Um, It's one of my favorites from high school. It's called The Chrysalids by John Wyndham. And it's basically about normal people and abnormal humans or humans who are different outcasts, outliers, who are basically punished and destroyed and banished to a place called the fringes. And it's really, really very interesting because I'm pretty sure I would be burned at stake if this were back in the day. And I'd probably be called a witch and be burned at stake. Um, be called the medicine doctor, <laughs> which doctor. Um, anyway, I just thought it was a nice parallel with the Scarlet Letter. And I love, love that you talk about that book because now I'm going to have to go read it. Thanks. Bye. Welcome to Back from the Borderline. I'm your host, Molly, and I don't want to talk to your personality. I want to talk to your soul. The idea of alchemy 
is to reduce something with fire, burning it down so that something new can rise from the ashes. You can do this with your personality too. You can perform emotional alchemy. You've always had the power. You just didn't know that. And now you do. Our time together provides a chance to unhook from your overextended life to explore, understand, and integrate the darkest parts of your soul. On this podcast, there's no finish line, no quick fix or cure. There's no outcome. There's only eternal unfolding. More than 50% of us will be diagnosed with a mental illness at some point in our lifetime. The medical model of mental illness tries to convince us that the root of our suffering is chemical imbalances in our malfunctioning brains, and that the best we can hope for is to numb or suppress our symptoms into some kind of remission. This model seems to view the personalities of suffering individuals as fixed, cancerous tumors. What if instead we viewed our symptoms as saviors? The definition of savior is one that saves from danger or destruction. Through this new lens, we can begin to see painful mental health symptoms as natural responses that we can learn to become more fully conscious of and slowly change. On this podcast, you'll learn to view your symptoms as saviors, as alerts from your body, mind, and spirit that want to let you know when you're out of alignment with the deepest yearnings of your soul. From chaos comes clarity. Through working with and integrating the concepts we'll explore together, you will emerge transformed, standing in the ashes of the person you used to be. Welcome to new listeners and to returning listeners, welcome back. I want to thank Nadina for this beautiful voicemail and I thought it was a great one to open up this episode with, in particular with my guest today. Nadina was referring to my scapegoat series, which you can scroll back in the podcast feed and check out. But scapegoating is a very specific kind of psychosocial phenomenon and psychosocial abuse that's something that you can't really place. And sometimes it takes years to realize that this has been done to you. And in my scapegoating series, I talk about the origins of the word scapegoat. And I'll do a brief synopsis of it here. A key part of Yom Kippur in the Jewish tradition as described in the Torah is the ritual slaughter of two goats, one for the Lord and the other is designated for Azazel. And the Jewish tradition takes Azazel as the name of a rocky headland off of which one goat, having the sins of the community symbolically placed upon it, would be thrown. And the other goat, the one for the Lord, would be slaughtered as part of the general Yom Kippur rituals. And this slaughter would bring atonement or at-one-ment to the community. Christian tradition similarly acknowledged that one goat was to be slaughtered for atonement of the community, but the second goat, bearing the sins of an entire community, was understood to have simply gone free, to have escaped. And this goat was named the escape goat, which evolved later to be used as the term scapegoat. And just as this goat in this ancient Jewish tradition 
was selected to bear the sins and die for its entire community. In scapegoating abuse in various different systems, including family systems, the scapegoat is singled out and blamed for the problems in the entire system. In scapegoating abuse, the burden of dysfunction of the entire group is placed upon one member or one group of people, regardless of the true, more systemic nature of these issues. Many individuals who end up listening to my podcast relate to the scapegoat narrative because they know what it feels like to feel like the problem child or the issue in the family. And many of you also might know what it feels like to be scapegoated in an institution or a workplace or a friend group. It is the unfortunate nature of human beings that they don't want to look at their own dysfunction and they would rather blame it on a group of people. And just as Nadina described in the book, The Scarlet Letter, Hester Prynne is made to wear a scarlet letter of adulteress on her chest because she was singled out by her entire community to bear the brunt of the sins of her extremely Puritan society. And we can watch scapegoating play out on the world stage now. My guest today in our conversation highlights much of what Nadina has described in her voicemail. There's a phrase that I really enjoy, and I can't remember where I came across it, but I can't take credit for it, but it goes like this. Everything is paranormal until it's normal. Much of the things that we just take to be common sense and common knowledge today, especially when it comes to health and science and innovations that we don't even think twice about, would have been something that people in the past would have been looked at like they were absolutely insane at the most minimal reaction, or in more extreme instances, perhaps they would have been burned at the stake or tortured to death until they recounted their more heretical beliefs or murdered simply just for going against the grain. I don't have to convince you, if you're listening to this podcast, that we are in a very interesting time right now. Paradigm shifting is the word that comes to mind. We are having to flip the script on everything we once knew. This summer, in June, July 2023, we had a man testifying in Congress, and it is being openly spoken about by the U.S. Senate that the government is acknowledging that there is in existence other life forms, other civilizations that they've known about for God knows how long, but they've been keeping from the public. Many of us who were raised specifically in my generation, the millennial generation, Gen Z generations, we're waking up and realizing how asleep we've been, how we've been robbed from having a framework for myth and meaning. And many of us are finding ourselves trying to find out what spirituality means to us, what understanding ourselves in the framework of something bigger means to us, since many of us were raised in situations that were either completely devoid of spirituality with no spiritual mentorship, or we were raised in 
religious institutions or frameworks that were incredibly dogmatic that really turned us off and we sensed that there was just no connectivity there. It was very much punitive sky daddy vibes. And so now we are living in a time where we are asked to challenge everything that we believe. We're seeing that much of quote-unquote science and rational thought and believing that the only thing that exists is in this three-dimensional reality. If we can't see it, touch it, taste it, and feel it, it doesn't exist. But right now, many of us are waking up and realizing, hmm, maybe I need to change my mind about that. Maybe some of the stuff that I've been told is woo-woo or bullshit. Maybe there's something to it. Maybe everything is paranormal until it's normal. And the tragic part about it is that many people who've tried to challenge these paradigms that came far before any of us were scapegoated, maligned, abused, harassed, and sometimes even murdered for trying to speak truth that people just weren't ready to hear. And my guest today speaks about a few of these people. Dr. Larry Burke, MD, did his medical school and residency training at the University of Pittsburgh. He trained in acupuncture and hypnosis and is a certified energy health practitioner. Larry was also the co-founder of Duke Integrative Medicine. Dr. Burke retired from Duke University Medical Center in 2021 after a 40-year career as a holistic musculoskeletal radiologist. Larry has also been a guest trainer for workshops at the Monroe Institute. And for those of you who aren't aware, the Monroe Institute is a nonprofit education and research organization devoted to the exploration of human consciousness. It was established in the 1970s and has since been involved in research, education, and technology development related to out-of-body experiences and other paranormal or metaphysical phenomena. It's perhaps best known for its development of a process called hemisync, which uses binaural beats and audio technology to induce altered states of consciousness and facilitate experiences such as out-of-body experiences, lucid dreaming, and deep meditation. It's also often associated with the practice of something called remote viewing, which is a psychic phenomenon involving the ability to gather information about a distant or unseen target through extrasensory perception. Remote viewing gained significant attention and research during the Cold War era as it was explored by government agencies like the CIA and U.S. military for potential applications in espionage and intelligence gathering. The Monroe Institute's connection to remote viewing is mainly through its exploration of altered states of consciousness and psychic phenomena. They've conducted programs and workshops that aim to enhance individuals' psychic and remote viewing abilities using their special hemisync technology and other consciousness exploration methods. In addition to his work with the Monroe Institute, Dr. Burke is also a founding member of the American Board of Scientific Medical Intuition and a former board president of the Rhine Research Center. 
Many of you who are regular listeners of the podcast will know in the last few episodes, we've been diving deep into the world of intuition and dreams as a way to recover from developmental trauma. Larry is a big believer in diving into the unconscious and our dream world to find healing. Dr. Burke even gave a TED talk exploring some research he had done with groups of women who suffered from breast cancer and discovered that there were patterns in their dreams and similar symbolism that many of them experienced that later on they figured was their body trying to warn them about the cancer. He wrote a book on this and it's called Dreams That Can Save Your Life, Early Warning Signs of Cancer and Other Diseases, which was published in 2018. He also wrote a book called Let Magic Happen, Adventures in Healing with a Holistic Radiologist. His work with one particular dreamer, Kathleen O'Keefe Gnavos, was actually published in a journal, which is called Explore, the Journal of Science and Healing. And this particular journal published his research and work with this woman where she experienced prophetic dreams that were connected to her cancer diagnosis. Larry is a really interesting person because he was fully in the scientific world. He's one of the earliest leading MRI researchers. And for those of you who aren't aware, MRI is something that many of us know about because it's a very common phrase in medicine now, but again, it used to not exist. And our ancestors would probably think something like magnetic resonance imaging was some kind of dark magic, but now it's just something that is normal. And an MRI is a type of scan that uses strong magnetic fields and radio waves to produce detailed images of the inside of our body. You'll hear this in my conversation with Larry, but the reason why I find him such a fascinating person is because he truly lives and walks the path of embracing science, but also knowing that we need to open our mind to higher worlds and other forces and the power that we each have within ourselves to heal and how our symptoms truly can be our saviors. Larry is also a specialist certified in something called EFT or the emotional freedom technique. EFT is a therapeutic approach that is also referred to as tapping. EFT is based on the idea that negative emotions and physical issues are the result of disruption in our body's energy system. And by tapping on specific points on the body along meridians, similar to those used in acupuncture, individuals can purportedly release these energy blockages and alleviate emotional distress, reduce stress, and even alleviate physical symptoms. Larry is also an interesting character in this because he was in the earliest generations of Western medical practitioners who were researching ancient Chinese medicine and the healing properties and benefits within the technique of acupuncture. EFT tapping is often used for addressing emotional issues like anxiety, phobias, post-traumatic stress disorders, and other things like this. It can also be employed for pain management and personal development processes. As of now, things like energy healing and EFT tapping are seen as woo-woo, the formal phrase for what's often colloquially referred to as woo-woo, 
is often described as alternative or complementary medicine or holistic and integrative health. And these terms encompass a wide range of practices and therapies that go beyond conventional Western medicine and may involve concepts of energy, spirituality, and non-material aspects of health. Some terms and concepts associated with this domain are alternative medicine, and alternative medicine is a broad term that encompasses various non-mainstream health practices. This can include things like acupuncture, herbal medicine, and energy healing. Another term under this umbrella is complementary medicine, which is a term often used when non-conventional therapies are used alongside conventional medical treatments. So for example, a cancer patient might receive chemotherapy, which is conventional, and also use meditation or acupuncture, which is complementary to manage the side effects. Another term is holistic medicine that you might have heard. And a holistic medicinal approach focuses on the whole person, considering physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. It often involves therapies like meditation, yoga, and energy healing. Another term you may have heard is integrative medicine. And this approach combines conventional and complementary therapies to provide a more comprehensive approach to healthcare. It's often practiced in a coordinated and patient-centered manner. Another phrase that you may be familiar with is energy healing. And this refers to practices that work with the idea of subtle energy fields in the body. Examples include Reiki, therapeutic touch, or in the case of Maya ancestors in the South, the laying on of hands, acupuncture, all of which are believed to influence and balance the body's energy. Another phrase you might have heard is mind-body medicine. So this area focuses on the connection between the mind and body and often involves practices like meditation, mindfulness, relaxation techniques, and visualization. And lastly, you may have heard things referred to as metaphysical healing. This term is more explicitly associated with practices that go beyond the physical and involve metaphysical or spiritual concepts. It may include practices like crystal healing, chakra balancing, aura reading, dream analysis, and other methods such as this. Holistic therapies that I've described just now are oftentimes met with skepticism and rejection for several reasons. First, there is a lack of scientific evidence. So many alternative and complementary therapies lack robust scientific evidence to support their effectiveness. While some therapies have shown promise in small studies, most of these things haven't undergone rigorous large-scale clinical trials. And there's a reason for this. It's very, very difficult to measure the metaphysical. And our deeply rational brains want to shove things in boxes that are easy to quantify and measure. And oftentimes things like this are spontaneous and immeasurable. And unfortunately, many of these healing modalities have developed a bad rap because the alternative health industry is a lucrative one, just like the mainstream health industry is. And some practitioners or companies are simply promoting things for purely financial gain. And it's a shame because I feel like this is what has 
done a massive disservice to this aspect of healing. Another reason many holistic and metaphysical healing methodologies are rejected outright is because of something called confirmation bias. People tend to seek and remember information that confirms their pre-existing beliefs. So individuals who are immediately skeptical of any kind of alternative therapy that they can't measure with science or studies are going to be more likely to notice and remember negative experiences and reports and be much more likely to just reject these things outright. So therefore, there are lots of psychological and emotional factors involved. People's beliefs and attitudes toward healthcare can be deeply influenced by these factors. So for some, a sense of trust and comfort with mainstream conventional medicine leads to skepticism about alternative approaches. But as I mentioned, we're living in a very exciting time. The world is changing, and as a result, some healthcare systems are exploring ways to integrate certain alternative therapies into their services, emphasizing patient choice and a more holistic approach to health. If you've been listening for a while, you know I'm a big fan of my long, detailed introductions before my conversations with my guest. I don't like to drop my listeners directly into the conversation because I like to tee you up about why I chose this specific guest, why I think their message is so important. In my conversation with Larry, we really, really talk about these metaphysical methods of healing and how previously out there, woo-woo techniques that many doctors were shamed for in the beginning actually turned out to be life-saving mainstream techniques of the future. We talk at length about chronic pain, mental health systems, and immune system issues, and how they are potentially linked to our emotions and traumatic experiences in our lives. We even discuss Larry's work with a victim of MKUltra. And MKUltra, or Project MKUltra, is the codename for a covert and illegal program of human experimentation that was conducted by the CIA in the United States during the Cold War era. And the project's official name was the CIA's Mind Control Program. It aimed to investigate various methods for controlling and manipulating human behavior, including the use of drugs, psychological torture, and other techniques. It was initiated in the early 1950s and continued until the mid-1970s when it was exposed and subsequently curtailed. The program was highly secretive and was conducted without the knowledge or consent of the general public, which reminds me a lot of what we're finding out about the covert operations going on with the different three-letter agencies within the United States government that are investigating the so-called UAP phenomenon. This program was shrouded in secrecy, and much of its documentation was destroyed during the 70s when its existence and some of its activities were revealed to the public. In the aftermath of the revelations, investigations were launched leading to congressional hearings and the exposure of many of MKUltra's unethical and illegal practices. The exposure of MKUltra and other related experiments led to significant changes in the oversight and regulation of scientific and medical research, particularly those involving human subjects. But it remains a controversial and very dark chapter in the history of the United States government's intelligence and scientific activities. Many people have thought that 
MK Ultra was simply a conspiracy theory that it didn't happen, but it did. And Larry actually treated a victim of this experimentation in his own private practice and speaks a bit about this in our interview. The extent of MK Ultra's activities and the identities of its victims remain largely shrouded in secrecy as well because of the covert nature of the program. However, there have been some notable cases and allegations of individuals who may have been subjected to these experiments, and you might recognize the name of Ted Kaczynski, who is also known as the Unabomber. Ted Kaczynski was a former mathematics professor who engaged in a nationwide mail bombing campaign. And there are allegations that Kaczynski was subjected to experiments conducted at Harvard University, which may have been linked to MKUltra. Also, Candy Jones, a former fashion model and radio host, Candy Jones claimed to have been subjected to mind control experiments in the 60s, which she believed were part of MKUltra. Also, Ken Kesey, the author of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Ken Kessie participated in a government-sponsored study involving psychedelic drugs, which he believed was also connected to MKUltra. It's my hope that being able to hear someone with such extensive experience and unique, incredible work in his private practice, and this unique mixture of ultra-scientific involvement in some of the earliest innovations from a medical perspective, in the 1980s and 90s, and now someone who's completely converted his practice to exploring purely the metaphysical aspects of healing up to the point of being involved in published studies and TED Talks, I hope that you can open your mind that this episode can be part of many, many pieces of content that are being created now that explore this new era of healing that we're entering into and how can each of us harness the power of mainstream science and the medical model which is life-saving and incredible but also not throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to more integrative holistic and metaphysical aspects of healing how can we marry the two of these together and maybe that is the secret sauce of true holistic healing. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with the incredible Dr. Larry Burke. All right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm sitting here with a special guest, but I'll let him go ahead and introduce himself now. Larry Burke, a holistic radiologist turned a dream tapping coach. And uh, yeah, and LarryBurke.com is on our website for more info. So. And the listeners will have just heard an in-depth intro about all of your experience, so we'll jump straight into it. After a few years trying to find health and healing through more mainstream methods of mental health, I, and I think a lot of my listeners as well, came away pretty disillusioned. I know the mainstream approaches don't seem to be working because otherwise we wouldn't be seeing skyrocketing figures of suicide, depression, and disease. I just did an episode for my premium subscribers on a Time Magazine article that just came out saying we've reached peak therapy, right? And so mm. essentially a lot of these critiques against psychiatry and the medical model of mental health have now actually become more mainstream just in the last three to six months or so. 
but it's pretty common still for the majority of us in society to outright dismiss any alternative healing modalities. And we have that phrase called woo woo shit, right? So mm -hmm. things like Reiki, energy healing, tapping, parts work, shadow work, dream analysis, a lot of this stuff is just thrown in the trash by skeptics and not even touched. And I think you're a very unique guest for the podcast because your background is that you spent much of your career after medical school working in some of the most reputable academic institutions and were part of the foundational research for cutting edge tech like MRI. So when was it that you began to open your mind to more metaphysical concepts? And what was it like grappling with this while working in fields and institutions that seem pretty dead set on focusing on things that can only be proven or with evidence base? Well, one other thing is probably not in my bio is I, w I wanted to be a psychiatrist when I was in medical school. <laughs> How do and you I feel about that now? <laughs> well, I, I wound up doing a 180 degree turn and going to radiology instead because uh, at the time, psychiatry was just all drugs, this and drugs, that. And I was not into pharmacology. So I was, uh, and radiology actually gave me an opportunity to make people who were going through a traumatic uh, procedure more comfortable and relaxed and, and help them get through smoothly. And it turns out that that's probably related to my uh, childhood trauma and third, third grade, I sprained my knee and they took me to the ER. Uh, my knee was all swollen up. I just remember two big needles. One was the supposed numbing medication jammed into my knee. The second needle was to dr drain the blood out. And, and I'm realizing if the ER docs had known hypnosis or, or knew how to talk to me, it might have been a lot smoother, uh, less traumatic experience. So years later, um, when I was really in the midst of uh, mainstream MRI, I was on the National Safety Committee and we were dealing with concerns about health effects of electromagnetic fields, um, also about claustrophobic patients because about 5 to 10% of people were claustrophobic. And so I learned hypnosis in 1990 as a, a way to uh, help patients uh, cope with that experience. And, and that was a life-changing you know, experience back in 1990. And a lot of other things were happening in 87 to, to 90 for me. My dad got cancer, uh, which uh, triggered a whole holistic uh, rabbit hole exploration of all the alternative cancer methods. And then uh, oh, the other thing I didn't put in my bio was I watched Shirley MacLaine's made uh, for TV movie, Out on a Limb which had everything in it that you can imagine, you know, from, if you haven't seen it, it's still free on, on YouTube. You can watch I it. it. Two-part two miniseries. Yeah. And she's, she does channeling. She, she does uh, out-of-body experience, UFOs. Everything is in, is in that book. And that led to Shirley MacLaine being lampooned widely through Hollywood after that. Of but just she, saying that she was nuts, basically. Uh, yeah. And then also that was the harmonic convergence that happened in 1987. Jose Arguelles and the Mayan uh, prophecies were all announced then. And so, so all those things, and I found my first metaphysical bookstore, which was the Garland of Letters in, in, uh, on South Street in Philadelphia. And uh, that was a revelation because I started buying a, one book every week. The first book I bought was Secrets of the Great Pyramid. Second book I bought was Body, The Body Electric. And then I got interested in acupuncture from a scientific point of view, it seemed that it had some electromagnetic properties. And in Robert Becker's book, Body Electric, uh, he'd been, after he invented uh, bioelectric bone healing, which was an alternative therapy back in those days, and now, now it's mainstream with multiple companies marketing it, 
but he Nixon when Nixon went to China, and one of the reporters in his entourage got appendicitis, James Reston, and he wound up uh, getting mainstream you know, appendectomy with general anesthesia. But afterwards, he had abdominal pain, and they called the acupuncturist who stuck a bunch of needles in him, and he came back and wrote an article in the Washington, uh, New York Times, actually, and and that created the acupuncture craze in, in the early 70s. Every acupuncturist in every Chinatown put their shingles out, and Westerners started flocking to get acupuncture. Wow. And the NIH was pretty freaked out, and they said, we need to know how this works. So they gave Becker a million dollars to figure out the electromagnetic basis of acupuncture. And sure enough, one of his grad students published this paper, and the diagram is in the book, and it's, it's a contour map of the, just like you'd see on, if you're hiking, looking at the, at, at the hiking elevations. Mm-hmm. It's a contour map of the... Um, skin conductance around the acupuncture points so that as you get near the point the resistance goes down the conductance goes up and so caption was acupuncture has an objective basis in reality and i was like whoa really i I had no idea at that point and then i got obsessed with wanting to to take an acupuncture course finally years later in 1998 i got to go and take the ucla course when i was at duke i did manage to convince the radiology chairman to let the, the Acupuncture Society of Pennsylvania meet in our radiology conference room once a month. I read somewhere once, I don't, I I will never know where it came from, but said that like things are paranormal until they're normal. They're supernatural until they're natural. You're really starting to see now, we're just starting to get closer to making the connection between spirituality and metaphysical concepts and science. The lines are really starting to blur. I'm curious to know what you think about that. I've done a couple of episodes on shadow work and I just had a family constellations therapist on last week and I thought, I got an email from a longtime listener and she was so angry. It was so disappointing, Molly, to see that you had such woo-woo shit like family constellations on your podcast. Mm -hmm. I was so disappointed to see you going in this direction. I know that you're against the uh, medical model of mental health, but you don't have to go to the other extreme of pure crazy town. And it really made me start thinking. Obviously, I just dismissed that email because in my mind, it said a lot more about that person emailing that they're just completely shutting this down because they don't want to go there. Or that it's a projection. Is- it's a projection. Exactly. It's, it's, but, uh, but it made me think, Larry, is like, you know, as someone who has spent much of their time in mainstream medicine land, and then now you're also doing all of this incredible work, which we're going to be going into a bit more in my questions, is why do you think people are so resistant to alternative healing methods I don't even like calling them alternative. I just like, why are they so resistant to this side, the more metaphysical side? And why is it, are they so quick to take a pill or take, and I'm not shaming. Sometimes medication can help people. I never like to go black and white on things, but why are people so black and white on this stuff? Well, let's address the family constellations first. I've I've participated in one family constellations therapy session, which is fascinating. And then one one of the guys in our, uh, the ASEP Association for Comprehensive Energy Psychology at our national meetings, he would he would give workshops on, on family constellations. So I got more interested in that. And then mm. plus he was combining it with EFT, which was which is you know the tapping technique. And mm-hmm. uh, but then I just read Mark Wolin's book uh, last summer. Uh, it didn't start with you. That is a, a gem. It's just an amazing exploration of that whole whole field. Now, uh, since you mentioned shadow work, I, I think. To address your your question about 
why people just want, want a pill. Uh, this is, goes way back to uh, when, when we founded the Duke Integrative Medicine Center. Uh, my co-founder was a cardiologist, and he said at the time he would have people walk into his office with chest problem, you know, chest pain or, or some heart problem, and, and he would interview him, and in the first five minutes he would go, oh, I see, you, you just want a pill, and he'd write him a prescription, and they'd leave. Uh, or he got he goes oh you're in the middle of a major psycho spiritual you know transformation here mm-hmm. in a dark night of the soul and and would you like to do our mindfulness based stress wow. reduction program and it was just that obvious that you know you're uh, not ready for this stuff yeah, yeah some people are not ready and, and and of course in order to really address it you have to look at the shadow of our culture not just individual shadow and, and that is the fact that the pharmaceutical industry basically controls medical education, controls all the all the medical journals, yep. and and has everyone. Uh, and and uh, really, there's only two countries in the whole world who allow direct drug advertising on TV, and that's New Zealand and the United States. And when when yep. and that changed in 1999, and and now you just you know the evening news is basically sponsored by the drug companies, and it's only gotten worse during COVID. And, and but the silver lining there in the shadow there's always a go, there's always gold hidden so uh, the the gold in the shadow of, uh, of of the pharmaceutical powers that be uh, controlling the narrative is that uh, a lot of people are realizing that the emperor has no clothes and it's it's gotten so uh, magnified I, I wrote a blog on mass hypnosis from 2001 to 2021 and I, I point out that. Uh, there, there have been some authors l- lately. Um, uh, a guy named uh, Matthias Desmet from from Belgium wrote an article about looking at the mindset of different groups of people, and he said about a third of people can't be hypnotized. You know, they're going to be resistant. They're going to be critical thinkers. About another third are just going to do whatever the authority figure says. They're immediately hypnotizable, and the, the middle zone in between, the 50, 50 to sixty percent of people. Uh, are, are sort of where, where the um, the war for your mind really takes place. It's like the more we can sway the people in the middle uh, to wake up and be critical thinkers, while, while the pharmaceutical industry is wanting, wanting to go the other way. Uh, so, so that's really where we are at, at the moment. And, and and that book was the psychology of totalitarianism, which is an amazing book. So yeah. that tracks with me. I think they are starting to wake up to it, and because there's just too many questions. If this was working, we would be seeing improving numbers, right? But we're not. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. And I've spent time both on one psychiatric med five different psychiatric meds you know i went down that whole pipeline i did standardized therapy and then i started doing different things and working through my grief doing dream work shadow work going to craniosacral therapists acupuncturists right like and then just reading about mysticism and esotericism and seeing all the connecting threads it just made me start realizing ah it does benefit the systems for people to not be aware of these things. What's really going on as uh, more and more people become skeptical that, hey, we, we were told uh, this by authority figures, and now they're realizing that the authority figures are basically lying, and uh, and that's starting starting to crumble the, the facade of, of belief in the authorities. Doing your own research has become a pejorative term. It's like, well, no, that's what we all should be doing. And, and now you mentioned all the different psychotherapeutic adventures you went on. Of course, the hottest topic these days is psychedelic assisted therapy. And, and they, um, they just had a, 
an international meeting out in Colorado, and twelve thousand people registered for that conference. So that that wow. is that, it's the hottest trend at the moment. And of course, it was it was all uh, pushed underground back in the seventies uh, when when they realized that um, the genie had escaped the bottle and they needed to do everything they could to put it back in. So this is a perfect segue because I open each episode with the idea that my listeners will learn to view their symptoms as saviors. Our symptoms are alerts from our body, mind, and spirit that want to let you know when you're out of alignment with your integrity, with the deepest yearnings of your soul. Yeah, that's and perfect, perfect. Well said, yes. Thank you. And yeah, it's, it's in my intro of every episode. And in your work, you seem to take a similar view, but you phrase it slightly differently. You see symptoms as somatic metaphors. Can you speak a bit, bit more about that? Yeah, I think my, <laughs> my experience is um, um, generated out of my own uh, you know, uh, physical symptoms. And I think the, the shoulder pain has been the big one, big teacher for me. And that uh, as a radiology resident, I developed unexplained left shoulder pain one day and it didn't go away for 20 years, and uh, and I had surgery. I, 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 my my first real experience with side effects of medications was I took this indomethacin, which indocin was a, was a brand named uh, uh, NSAID back in those days, back in the 80s, and I got mouth ulcers, but I, I didn't get the message. I could, until I could hardly talk or or eat. But I was still managing to shove the pills in, in, in through past my ulcers and, until after a week I realized, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, maybe it's coming from the pills. And I quit and the mouse ulcers went away. So, um, but nothing I did, even as I got into alternative medicines with acupuncture, massage, really ever turned the corner on the shoulder pain. And then finally I got divorced and my shoulder pain started going away. And I realized then it was about a repressed anger for 20 years in my mar first marriage that was a, very challenging and and then it, it was pretty much gone and uh, and then a few years after that i was becoming a political activist in 2006 after the um george bush got elected the second time i thought this is the last straw I, you know i i, <laughs> I and uh, and i got very angry yeah. and i developed a frozen shoulder which is a horrible condition that comes on out of the blue I've heard like, about people that struggle with that. Usually middle-aged women who are angry at their husband. They just want to punch their husband in the face, but that's not an appropriate uh, action. So you, instead you freeze your shoulder and, and actually develop inflammation in the shoulder that goes on to fibrosis. And, and it's called the T-Rex disease because you can't do anything more than this. Wow. You can't brush your teeth. You can't comb your hair. Women cannot button, unbutton their bra straps. And, uh, oh. and so it's, it may go on for months and months, even a couple of years. Uh, and so by that time, I had learned enough about the somatic metaphor process that I was able to heal my frozen shoulder in a matter of weeks, not months. Now my shoulders are stronger than they've been since college, wow. and they um, they only hurt when I'm angry. And so if, if they ever hurt after a workout or something, I just go, hmm, I wonder what I'm angry about. And I'll start tapping, I'm doing the EFT, and it'll be like... Um, even my shoulders are really angry. My shoulders really, I don't, won't even know what it is. And then after like a few minutes, it'll start to uh, surface out of my subconscious. Oh, you're angry about this. And then half an hour okay. later, my shoulder feel better. So and that's why I tell all my clients now, if I can heal my shoulder, shoulder pain, you can probably heal whatever you're dealing with. And, and I say, just remember that your, your symptom is going to become your ally someday. It's going to be your, your yes. best guide 
it's going to be your, your own built-in biofeedback device. So when my shoulder hurts, I go, why am I angry? And yes. that's what happens. All the stuff that we shame and criticize people, like people that come out and have the courage to kind of go against the grain. I mean, it's a tale as old as time, right? They get yeah. persecuted, labeled heretics, and then they're vindicated after they're already dead. And then everyone sees these things as mainstream. It's just the cycle that continues to repeat itself. Yeah, and one ahead. of the most famous ones in medical history is, have you heard of the Semmelweis effect? No. Okay, so Semmelweis was the the physician in Austria or Germany somewhere who uh, back in the 1700s, I think it was, he he realized that to go deliver a child, if he washed his hands first with alcohol or whatever, then the woman wouldn't die in childbirth you know, from, from overwhelming uh, sepsis and, and infection. So, you know, at the, at the time it, it was like 30, 40% of women would, would get infections and have horrible outcomes. And his, he was having like 5% or less, you know, and it was like, and, and so he came, told his colleagues, oh, this is amazing. Look, look at, look, just we, we, can, we can just wash your hands. And it's like, there was no germ theory, no germ theory at the time, it made no sense to them. And he, he was shamed and wound up in a mental institution and died in a mental institution because uh, his colleagues would not, not accept his uh, wisdom. I'm literally, I cannot freaking believe that. And now you see, you know, surgeons, you know, washing all the way up to their arms and, and that's just normal practice. And this man died in a mental hospital. Yeah. And, and, and then if you, if you look at the Semmelweis effect as it plays out in modern times, the, um, uh, the dentists you know, have been putting merc toxic mercury fillings into people's mouths f for decades mm -hmm. and resisting any, um, you know, even the robust science that this is not good for you uh, until, until now, finally, they're replacing them with composite fillings. Oh, because they work better. It's not because those other ones were, were causing neurological damage. people out that already have them in their mouths. Yeah. And, and, then, and then... Nothing to see here, folks. All right, everyone. I hope you're enjoying my interview with Dr. Larry Burke. At this point in the podcast, we're going to take a short break for a word from my advertisers. My host, Acast, allows me to add in dynamically inserted programmatic ads, which I don't select myself. It's just like little advertisements that you hear on YouTube. This allows me to get compensated for what I do, allows certain people who prefer to listen to the podcast for free to keep listening to the podcast for free. If you would prefer an ad-free experience, my premium submarines on Patreon get ad-free episodes, full-length episodes, and tons of bonus content. So never forget that that's always an option for you. So for now, check out these ads, and then we'll be right back here with the rest of the interview with Larry. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We need people out there that are willing to ask the tough questions and look look at the facts because I always say too, there, there's a, a really prominent uh, critical psychiatry advocate named James Davies. And he just said, what I liked about what he said, he goes, a lot of this stuff, he goes, people think it's happening in like shadowy back rooms, but it's really not. It's just happening right out in the open. And I just realized nobody wants to redo their homework. People don't want to redo their damn homework. It's already done. The system's there. And especially it's benefiting them. It reminds me of the people that were some of the top Facebook executives, all these people in big tech, but they don't let their own children use the platforms, right? So it's just, it's this stuff where everyone at the top, they know and they protect their own but they don't want to redo their homework to protect the most vulnerable. And that's the kind of stuff that makes me so incredibly angry. For much of my childhood through my mid twenties, I suffered from like chronic infections. And I kind of just thought I was a sickly child. I had recurring strep throat, sinus infections, bladder infections, yeast infections, hives for no reason, eye infections, you know, and my mom would just take me to the doctor because of course that's what a caring parent would do then. And I think Larry probably between like my, my childhood to even up until my mid to late twenties, I was on a course of antibiotics at least three times a year, if not more. And I never thought much of it. Like I said, I just thought that I was a really sickly person. And you wrote an article on medium where you discuss the CDC's adverse childhood experience right. study, which I've talked a lot about. And, you know, that study found that trauma during early childhood life is the greatest risk factor discovered for the development of chronic illness later in life. And I thought it was interesting because you took it further and you mentioned that you believe based on the extensive research you've done and over the years with your clients and the connection between early childhood trauma and later chronic illness pain could be related to what you describe as emotional shadow issues related to anger, shame, and fear in certain energy centers in our yeah. body. And I found this fascinating because I'm now in a position where I no longer, I haven't been on antibiotics for years. You know, I'm finally in a safe, loving relationship. I'm doing work that empowers me. I am following my own thread through the labyrinth for my own healing. And I realized as I was even sitting here doing the research for our interview, I was like, wow, I was so sick for so long and now I'm not. And I'd love to hear you talk about this because other people, I have tons of listeners that message me saying they struggle with chronic infections, chronic pain, and as well as dealing with all of their childhood trauma issues. So can you tell me more about these emotional shadow issues? Uh, yeah, I, I do a workshop on uh, um, transforming the symptoms of the lower four chakras, uh, which are, uh, again, the shadow emotions are. And interesting that they, they occur, uh, supposedly the chakras develop according to Anandia Judith in um, chronological order. So the first chakra, infant just wants to know, is it safe to be here or not? And if it's not safe, then fear is the shadow emotion. The toddler, um, you know, terrible twos is all about hey, I'm feeling safe, I'm going to start to check all this stuff out and explore a sense of freedom. And, inst and instead, the authority figures say, don't do that, don't do this, until so you get angry. So that's where anger comes in. And then when you get to be a preschooler, uh, you're going to uh, you know, start to develop your little ego identity, pretty much, and, and you'll get shamed by authority figures for you know, 
being too full of yourself or whatever, you know, and, and so that's the, the shadow issue uh, in uh, the, the, the third chakra. And then the fourth chakra, you, you're, in, you're in grade school, you're starting to create relationships and some of them don't work out. So that's where the grief comes from and eat, where your grandparents die or your dog dies or, or any of those things. So, so those are the, and each of those uh, emotions can be correlated with different diseases, um, autoimmune disease in the, in the first chakra, which is a fearful response from your immune system. Um, the second chakra is repressed anger is all about chronic pain. And then third chakra is eating disorders, uh, shame. And then the fourth chakra is related to the Chinese five elements. You get grief stuck in the lungs and the sinuses and you get postnasal drip from uh, chronic inner crying. And, and, and that, that's sort of the way I look at those shadow emotions as they relate to, to physical illness. But it's interesting when you talk to the, my mainstream rheumatologist and I, and I give them a couple grand rounds lectures on this topic and I say, now you know about the ACE study, right? And they no, no. It's like, why would we want to, why would we know about that? Only the, the psychiatrist and the pediatrician is the only ones that know about it, even though it's the most important study in history. And, and I say, do you just maybe do a little psychotherapy uh, referrals for your uh, clients with severe lupus and rheumatoid? Uh, it's covered by insurance. No, we just give them more expensive drugs and, 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 uh, and, and, you know, and, and when, the, when they get bad side effects, we just switch to another drug. It's like uh, never looking at the, at the root cause. And when you look at the, um, uh, like you mentioned, the antibiotics, I had severe acne as a teenager. So I got ton tetracycline pill every day for years. Mm -hmm. And I also went on tetracycline for acne. I'm sure my, my microbiome did not like that for many years. And I've, uh, and, and then, the, the, the things that's missing from the, the ACE study is that's abuse and uh, ne neglect. And it doesn't mention actually uh, medical trauma of any sort. You know, like, mm -hmm. did you have your tonsils? I mean, even just getting your yeah. tonsils out can be tra traumatic, you know. And then, uh, and also doesn't mention, uh, like, did uh, you know, anyone significant die or anything like that. It, Peter it Levine does a beautiful job of talking yes. about uh, trauma in um, medical situations. Like he, in his book, I think it's called Waking, like Waking the, the Tiger, Tiger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. where he talks about as an adult, he got hit by a car, right? And so the paramedics came, they strapped him down and he said his body right. wanted to move. He wanted yep. to shake, right? Yep. And so it said, if every single person in ERs and like knew about TRE and knew about yeah. trauma release and how, cause if you see my dog just this morning, right? She, I accidentally <laughs> dropped like a, a fork on the ground and it hit her back. Right. Oops. And, and like, didn't hurt her, but it scared the crap out of her. Right. Guess what she did right afterwards, she shook shook, it off. right. She shook it off. She yawns. Um, and yeah. then she, and I'm like, she is, doing what we all should be doing, right? Like yeah. we yeah. have learned so much to freeze in, and we don't yeah. move, we don't shake out our trauma. Larry, this brings me to my other question that it ties in with all of this. So I have spoken a lot on my podcast and on my Substack writing about uh, sexual trauma in childhood and also specifically grooming. I think that mm. millennial and Zoomer women in particular, and now I'm not saying it's just a strictly women's issue though, because it's just my experience. 
I experienced intense sexual grooming in childhood online by much older men, which then led to me being um, sexually assaulted. And then I found that I was getting re-traumatized and re-traumatized, right? I thought I was so mature. I thought these older guys were way, and the, the thing that made it really sticky was that these were very attractive older men, right? So they weren't the creepy pet pedos like that you imagine right the scary guy the old man with the creepy look these were attractive hot older guys that were in their 30s and 40s talking to a 14 15 year old girl right and only in my mid-20s to late 30s when i kind of started interacting with friends who had kids women that i work with who had kids that were 14 15 i just recently i had like dinner and i wrote about it on my sub stack with my friend who has a son who's 14 and I looked at him and he is the most handsome young man. You can tell he's just going to be a gorgeous guy growing up. But I looked at him and all I could see was child, you know, like I just, I, and I immediately, um, it set me into grief because mm-hmm. I saw that I was 14. You know what I mean? And I mm-hmm. thought, Oh my God, how I was disgusted thinking about even seeing this young boy as a sexual object. Mm-hmm. And so I want to know, how does that tie into like damaging in our energy centers? And for me now, Larry, I'm, I am fucked when it comes to my libido and my sexual uh, connection. And I've had now hundreds of women email me saying that they resonate with this. They're just scared to talk about it. Like Mm -hmm. I spent so long performing sexuality that now that I'm in a safe relationship, it's like, my libido doesn't exist. It's like I... You've got a lot of tapping to do. Uh, Because I I, I, I do tell people when when their ACE score is high, you know, it's like, um, and according to the the original study, um, there was like a third of people had a happy childhood, you know, zero ACE score. Then there was another uh, uh, quarter who have one one, uh, ACE score, which is their parents got divorced. Then there's a couple, by the time you get to four, that's yeah. about 12% of the population. And those are the people with really- But Larry, you want to know what I take issue with the with the ACE study? And I'm so curious, like I'll be fascinated to find out what happens later because for me, I think I had like an ACE score of two, like on the outside, everything was all good. All my needs were met. My parents mm-hmm. were school teachers, but I had a dad who was very like, horrifyingly abused as a child my listeners have heard more about this there's the generational trauma that gets passed along covert you know everything was very covert and so i think those of us even with the ace study those of us who experienced more covert psychological types of abuse i was scapegoated in my family pretty intensely and that well, messed me up because I thought, how am I so messed up if I'm not even sc- scoring high on the ACE? Your score might be higher than you think. And, and, yeah. and what I tell people also is just because you have a high ACE score, uh, you know, it's good news and bad news. You're more likely to have chronic disease. But if you have a chronic yeah. disease and you have a high ACE score, you have, you've got a chance of reversing that process, which is a really important concept to think about. And, and mm-hmm. then in terms of the groomers you're talking about, it's like, uh, uh, those are all the people who are on, on the Epstein Island flights who, who are highly respected celebrities and stars and politicians. And it's like, um, oh. I spent time in LA. I did, the thing is my sexual trauma led me into, I did sex work for a while, which was, but very high-end sex work. I was working in underground poker rooms in LA where I saw many powerful people that I yeah. shall not name. Yeah. And the thing is, is that this is just baked in 
you know, like it, it is part of how it works. And again, well, you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist. I experienced it first. I, I hear you. And, and, and I, I went, uh, had two experiences in my coaching practice. One is, is a, a attractive, well-dressed 50 year old businesswoman walks in uh, a few years ago, like 10 years ago and says, uh, I said, what do you want to work on? She said, I can't tell you. And I said, okay, well, if, but then we use the movie technique, which is uh, if you had a movie in your DVD collection, it was the worst one you ever saw. What would it be? And she said, another Sandusky affair, which was the Penn State football coach who was abusing the boys in the locker room during football camp. And so she got triggered by that news. And, and she said, I said, well, in the movie technique, you just work through the story one frame at a time and you tap whenever you get distressed and then you just work your way through it. And she goes, it was my high school gym teacher, a woman who was my basketball coach. And she uh, molested me. And then they were, she was also a friend of the family. And she said, if you tell your family, I'll, I'll kill, I'll kill them, you know? And, and it was like, yeah. So it was the ultimate, like, um, you know, uh, trauma trap. And, and so th this is like 30 years before. And, and so when she got triggered by that, she knew she wanted to heal this now. And that's why she came to me. And so we tapped on, on, on that for, for that session. Mm. And then she came back a week later for the follow-up. And I said, well, what's going on? She said, well, I just texted the perpetrator and I got an apology and that's what I wanted 30 years after the fact. And she said, and, and she was done with this. It was kind of like that was out of her system. And you know, the fact that it's amazing that she got an apology and, 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 and good that's for very her. Rare. Yeah, very, very rare. So, so that was like a, a really, um, uh, an, a cathartic experience. Now, the other thing that happened was I had a woman walk into my office referred from that psychic healer who, who had helped me with my frozen shoulders. And so, so I trusted that this is a good referral. And she walks in and goes, before we start, you just need to know that I'm uh, an MK ultra survivor, you know, which is the, the CIA's mind control, you know, program. Yep, yep. And, and I go like, Oh, I go, I thought that this is 10 years ago. I thought, I thought that was uh, just a myth, a myth, like, yeah. a myth. Yeah. yeah. She said, no, just look on Wikipedia for the Senator Frank church hearings in there. 10 pages, you know, about all the stuff, yep. this, the, the, the LSD, the, um, uh, oh, yeah. the torture like and, and Canyon and all that, all stuff Laurel Canyon. All, and then, and, she, yep. and so I looked it up and then she tells me, yeah, I was, I was from a military family and often they are, uh, many of those Laurel Canyon rock stars were from military families. Yep. Uh, and, and she goes, and my parents turned me over to this program and I got electroshocked when I was two or three and, and, and I got put on the path. There's two paths and it's like Jason Bourne, you're going to be, you're going to be an assassin or you're going to be a sex slave. And she was on the sex slave path and she did have numerous interactions with famous people and then got deprogrammed in the nineties. Um, and the guy who deprogrammed her was later murdered. And I'm thinking, do I want to work with this woman? You know, yeah, and, sounds and, very scary. So the next time she comes in, uh, we we accomplished, uh, 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 and she had some physical symptoms that were guiding her to to, to, to get healing. Mm -hmm. And a week later, she comes back and says, "I had to check you out because I saw you were affiliated with Duke, and Duke was one of the eighty psychiatry departments that was part of MK Ultra. I mean, eighty. The Department of Defense funded eighty academic institutions to do all these." dark things and it's like she did really well uh, healed her physical symptoms and eventually it just moved on and it was but that was an eye-opener for me it's like oh my god I, I thought this was just a myth you know so. this should also give I mean it gives me hope hearing about this at first it breaks my heart that mm -hmm. these are things that happen to people but it also yeah. gives me hope because I don't like to get into the 
even comparing what is worse trauma than the next, because yeah. at the end of the day, this stuff devastates our lives. It doesn't matter if you were sold as a sex slave or if maybe you just endured serious, um, you know, uh, verbal abuse in your home growing up. Regardless, yeah. this stuff is manifesting in your daily life and stopping you from being able to find what it means to have a life worth living. I guess I'd like to finish up with, you know, you've been talking a lot about EFT and I'm going to make sure that I mention what it is in the introduction so that people know. How can those of us who are new to EFT, which for listeners, and you'll know this, it stands for emotional freedom technique, tapping, right? Um, what's an a easy way for my listeners and myself to begin with EFT? Well, under my, um, on my website, under the links section, uh, there's coaching links and dream links and, and uh, mm -hmm. Rhine Center links. And, and, and uh, under, under the coaching links, there are a whole bunch of different EFT blogs, including a, a okay. nine minute video you can watch. It's just oh, an intro, okay. generic intro, and there's a handout and everything else now. Uh, but if you go online and just start Googling EFT, the, probably the first thing you'll find is my friend Brad Yates, uh, uh, Tapping with Brad. He's got like 30 million views on his YouTube videos, so uh, it's crazy. Uh, so yeah, there are many different approaches to tapping. Um, mine is sort of customized, so it's combining tapping with some NLP and hypnosis and some shaking mm -hmm. and some breathing in colors. So, so yeah, um, but that's a good place to, to start. And it's designed to be a self-healing technique. So mm. uh, as opposed to EMDR, which is, you know, done by yep. mental health professionals, which, which I've had people who got re-traumatized doing EMDR because it's too intense. But the EFT, I always keep really light so that uh, we, we avoid in any re-traumatization. So that's it's usually, I, I, and other thing is I'm tapping on myself while I'm listening to the, the traumatic experience while they're tapping on themselves. And uh -huh. so I walk out feeling lighter. I don't feel like burdened by their story. The other thing I'll mention is uh, there's a wonderful book since you're, you're collecting all these books. If yeah, you read the, the Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. Yeah, brilliant it. book. Not my favorite chapter in there is where he's talking about EMDR as you're moving your eyes back and forth. And he draws the correlation with REM sleep because that's what your eyes do during REM sleep. And that's when you get vivid imagery during dreaming. And, and that's, we don't have time to talk about today, but uh, yeah. I do a lot of work with, with keep my clients keeping a dream diary. And usually know, this was on my list of questions. I'm uh, going to have to have you back, Larry, because I'd love to do a whole episode on dreams too. And, and uh, what you do. Be, no, that, no, I'd love to do that. And, and uh, so on the website, uh, um, I have two, TED talks, the TEDx talks that are there, but the first one on dreams uh, has a link to my blog on keeping a dream diary, which you can start keeping your own dream diary now. Well, the resource section, listeners, is going to be beefed up with all of these links for you. You're going to find all of the stuff that Larry's mentioned on the episode. And I can't stress enough, I was just before the interview, he has so many resources on his website and links that will be helpful. Because I know also we've dived into some concepts that people may be like, whoa, what the hell is that? Yep. That means you just need to dive into it and read about it and see like the AA people say, you know, take what resonates and leave the rest, but make sure that you don't block out things that could potentially have some really significant healing power for you. So Larry, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I'm absolutely going to be taking you up on that. Uh, uh, sounds like you're open to, to episode part two. So I'd love to have you on again. Thanks, Larry. Thanks. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Larry as much as I did. I hope it opened your mind, got you more curious 
and over on the premium version of the podcast this week, I'm going to be doing a deep dive on tapping and sharing everything I've learned about that. I found some incredible free detailed PDFs that I'm going to be sharing over on Patreon as well. So I'll be releasing a free preview of that episode as I've started to do here on the feed. But if you want to unlock the full version as well as all the resources that I found, you'll need to become a premium submarine. Also, a shout out to the Back from the Borderline sponsor. I have my programmatic ads that you'll hear dynamically inserted, but an official sponsor of the podcast is Pure Spectrum CBD. So if you are a CBD lover and you want to buy some CBD products from a really reputable brand that I know and trust, and also one of my premium submarines works for them, then you can go ahead and go to my website, backfromtheborderline.com, click into my link tree. You will find a link there that will allow you to get a percentage off your first order from Pure Spectrum CBD. So if that's something that you already use and you really like and you're looking for some new products, check them out. I've been really, really loving their nighttime CBN tincture. It lasts a really long time and it also helps me when I experience my insomnia around the time of my period. So yeah, there you go. Check it out. And as usual, use your own discernment. If you are taking any medications that might interfere with CBD, that's something you want to discuss with your doctor. But I have been really, really loving their products and their team is great. They are a small locally owned business based out of Evergreen, Colorado, and they have worked with some really prominent organizations. So check out Pure Spectrum CBD. That's it for me, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As usual, this is my time to really encourage you to join the Premium Submarines on Patreon. Not only do you support my work, but you will unlock hundreds of hours of bonus content, have ad-free episodes, and also unlock the ability to join our private Discord server that we just launched. And if you're listening to this in the future, we won't have just launched it. But as of November 2023, it was recently launched. Already some amazing conversations going on in there, people sharing pictures of their pets, sharing pictures of their stupid walks for their stupid mental health, sharing resources with one another. It's really, really beautiful to see. So please go ahead and join the Premium Submarines. You can also subscribe to my Substack. I release monthly articles, and if you like reading recovery reflections, that'll be something that you want to check out. All that good stuff is available via the link in the episode description. I also have my second podcast, Night Night Bitch, which is a esoteric bedtime story podcast that you can use for relaxation and meditation. So lots of really amazing goodies that you can dive into if you're loving my work. If you can't afford to support the podcast monetarily, that's okay too. Something that really helps me is if you share an episode with someone that you love and trust, share it with your therapist. You can also rate the podcast or write a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. All of these things really, really help other people find my work, which is an amazing way to support me too. So thank you for being here with me. I love you lots, and I will see you right back here next time. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.